Hi everybody, welcome to the Patreon exclusive episode of No Country. My name is J. David Osborne. That is Chris Sactusum. Chris, have you have you recovered from your mother divulging secrets about your past? <laughs> well, you know, I was on the edge of my seat. Uh, uh, I, I thought she did a good job. Um, it's uh, It was interesting. It was interesting mm-hmm. to be in that situation. I think that's uh, a, a real privilege to be able to uh, to uh, sit in on that. I did think to myself at one point, though, wow, I better put my oar back in, otherwise I'm going to be out of a gig here. Uh, you uh-huh. two could have just... <laughs> Uh, you're both a little bit on the chatty side. I think you really hit it off. So, oh yeah, um, oh yeah, absolutely. It's like I told you, I grew up uh, around chatty women smoking cigarettes at the kitchen table. Um, so that is my milieu. That is where I shine. Yeah. Well, I think you 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 uh, definitely have some chat. You've got some chat cred and chat I can talk chops. To anybody. Absolutely, absolutely. But now that we are, you know safely within our our patreon zone here chris what did you want to talk about today okay well i will start off again with my reminder that the ongoing experiment with david's mind continues he has five words that he's chosen two out of he hasn't told me which two those are he has to use those two words slip them in clandestinely secretly carefully into the discussion uh, for this show. Uh, And the idea is to listen carefully and try to pick out which two words those are. And again, if you want to email us with your hunches, guesses, or uh, perhaps even certainties, if you feel very confident, uh, you will be in the running for one of our really major cool prizes. And there are some cool prizes, which we're going to start awarding quarterly. So keep in touch with us at thebutterflyinyourmouth at gmail.com. But it's a good way to, uh, to listen to David. He's got another challenge, another thing of segment that we've introduced and he hasn't heard this at all. So this is completely new to him. Uh, and the, the challenges will uh, be different every time. Uh, this time he's going to be examining the cliché. And there is a specific cliché here. But I, what I want to do, and it's something I do in my coursework, clichés tell us a great deal about language and about culture and about the ghost radio signal. We take them for granted, we filter them out, we often look down on them, but they're very, very peculiar, interesting uh, facets of language and of thought and of human sharing. So I'm gonna give David a classic, shooting a fish in a barrel. Now, we hear that from time to time. Everyone knows what it means. But if you really stop to think about that peculiar phrase, you'll realize just how peculiar it is. I mean, imagine being those, you know, the first people who who did that. I mean, it's hard to get fish into a barrel. Why would, what would be going on? So at the end of the, the show, while David and I are having a discussion, as we normally do, He's going to have to be using his uh, third or fourth octopus brain to think of the scenario, the first time that fish were shot in a barrel. Think about that. Shooting implies a certain level of 
uh, gun technology. Um, so he's going to create that scenario, that first er moment when fish were shot in a barrel and give us some context and maybe some of the characters. So he'll, he'll come in with that response uh, just before the practical tip of the week and the, uh, this session's dream episode. So Excellent. that's well, the, the introduction. Um, I, I'm uh, inclined to, to want to just raise a, a question as a beginning point for uh, this episode. Uh, I live in Las Vegas, as, as listeners uh, may be aware of, and I, I've had a lot to do with the, the Seattle area and the Pacific Northwest generally right on up into Canada. Uh, I did my grad school work in Seattle, a very different Seattle, much more working class, um, just it, uh, inching into the, the punk grunge era. It, it, it felt very different than what it does today. Um, and I don't mean just the COVID influence. I, I mean a, a transition that's been sort of coming on with the rise of Microsoft and Amazon and uh, homelessness has become a real epidemic here, as it has in cities like Portland and San Francisco and L.A. and, and well, many other cities, New York, everywhere. Um, but it was front page news, as it has been for the last uh, week. But front page news on, on, a, you know, on a Sunday, we're, we're recording on a Sunday here. Uh, so there's a whole different world going on. But I was walking... Uh, taking photographs and just getting reacquainted with the the area a bit and i walked through a wildlife reserve uh bird sanctuary marshland and quite lovely uh despite very dense uh gloomy overcast skies it was kind of nice photographic light and there was a sign leading into the reserve that sort of fit into a a series of signs that I'd been seeing of kind of predictable messages of uh, Black Lives Matter, women's rights uh, matter, water is life, uh, science is real, a whole series of slogans that I'd kind of been seeing on, on people's front lawns and, and associated with their places of business or bumper stickers on cars. And that's something that you just don't see that much of in, in Las Vegas or Southern Nevada or many parts of America that I've been in in last, you know, a little bit. It's, 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 it's a lot of messaging. But going into this lovely wildlife reserve with, you know, great blue heron around and um, some interesting stuff, there's a sign that says, We Choose Kindness. And, you know... That didn't seem all that kind to me. Um, that seemed actually kind of ominous. I, mm -hmm. I really instantly projected into uh, a dystopian post-apocalyptic uh, scenario where a totalitarian government sort of gives that kind of messaging as, you know, an ongoing thing. And it's almost a slogan that you have to repeat uh, when a, a superior of some kind passes you. Um so that was that was on my mind, and I thought I would throw that open to you because I I you know you live in Oklahoma, which perhaps has some of this sort of sloganeering going on, and I'm not saying Las Vegas doesn't have any, but 
I'm more likely to walk past a bumper sticker that says, I love gluten in Las Vegas, you know, uh, you know, it's, there are some, some messages, of course, and there's certainly, we have more signage for lawyers and accident lawyers, you know, have you been injured, injured in a car wreck? You know, we've got a ton of that. So I'm not saying we're not surrounded by messages, but I'm commenting on the kind of message, the tone, and a very, I don't know, ominous was the word that I got to. I know a lot of people will think, well, what's ominous about choosing kindness? Well, well, who's the we is my first question. Uh, when did you choose kindness? Have you always chosen kindness? Are you suggesting that I don't, that I'm not kind? You know, all those kinds of questions. So what, what can I throw that back to you to get uh, a younger person's response on that and also a response from another part of the country? Absolutely. So the first thing that comes to mind funny that you should mention the dystopian future with the authoritarian government because my thought process went to something even darker perhaps i was picturing the heaven's gate cult and <laughs> yes i was picturing all of these fresh nike shoes and these you know nice velvet purple uh blankets folded diagonally to make a kind of diamond shape over dead bodies and i was picturing graffiti on the wall with you know all these people dead in their bunk beds that just says we choose kindness um that's what it speaks of to me because what you're talking about when you talk about these signs which we do have a few of here in norman considered by many to be a small liberal blue enclave in an otherwise red conservative state we call that the litany of progressivism and it strikes me very much as uh, a kind of pleading prayer um, in the midst of what could be described as a climate collapse, right? Economic collapse, social collapse. It feels to me that in this case, the lady doth protest too much. I don't think that a, a society that is particularly concerned with kindness would feel the need to put that on a sign. It would just kind of go without saying. Yes, yes. I think that's point number one, absolutely. That that simply the need to say something like that is, is an indication of some deep conflict all on its own. But I, I certainly don't want to let uh, what I think is a very important idea that you let in with uh, which if I could just flesh out, and even if I'm not fully uh, doing what you thought justice, I, I, I do think I'm a little bit on the right track, but I just want to confirm because I, I think it could be a very important aspect of this kind of messaging which we are seeing today, that in fact, it's an assertion that is really a sublimation and a misdirect from a whole debate about very, very serious issues that people do not feel in control of, you know? And I think climate change is one. I think, uh, I mean, people talk about, well, kindness, and then, well, disparities in income, you know, that's a big issue these days. Well, that's why our billionaires have gotten, you know, $50 billion richer during the COVID period. We, we must not be that concerned 
uh, about those sorts of things, or we simply don't feel like we have any control and we, we feel so disempowered that we're then going to the trouble to uh, put up a really quite tragic little sign that says, we choose kindness. I mean, I, the other thing about this sign is physically, I thought it was very pathetic. Um, mm-hmm. It was poorly made. It, it wasn't even on the level of pick up after your dogs. You know, it was just, mm-hmm. you know, it. let's put some art. Let's get some art direction in it and some excitement and a, and a real call to action. You know, no, we choose kindness. Eh, okay, good, right. good for you. <laughs> right, there's a great gag in The Naked Gun. Remember this movie with Leslie Nielsen (laughs) where he's telling there's a building behind him that's exploding and people are being shot and he's holding up his hands and he's saying, everybody remain calm. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. That is the impression that I get from these signs. I think that when you are talking about um, really deep fundamental problems that we are both facing right now and are about to face because I've gone down something of a climate change rabbit hole. It's been a subject that I have been neglecting at my own peril for the past, well, 34 years because it's not something that's very nice to think about. I have very smart friends who have become completely nihilistic and blackpilled over the state of the world and how if we really wanted to do anything to even mitigate the consequences of climate change, we're currently about 20 years too late. So I do think that people on a (laughs) gut level, people on a gut level, they know that things are, that the clock is winding back. And I think it's fascinating that we understand that income disparity is going to get worse, not better. We understand that things like access to food access to uh, things like air conditioning. I have been through the ringer with my air conditioning to I'm get sorry these. To laugh. No, it is funny now that I'm in a nice air conditioned house, right? But my long story short, my air conditioner has a very specific type of motor that was on back order, finally came in and gentleman came and fixed it. Very kind person. Uh, who didn't have any signs on his truck indicating that he was kind. So this is just my guess, but he seemed nice. Um, But, you know, things like access to food, clean water, air conditioning are all going to be rolled back. Wi-Fi, electricity, cable TV. None of it is going to be on demand in the way that it's on demand right now. And I think that when that is going on psychically, subconsciously, Everybody who you run into knows that the bill is coming due, and there is a great sense of collective guilt that individuals do not know how to reckon with. And so you start to see things like income disparity is a problem. Um, You know, there's something going on with uh, Afghanistan. Don't know if you heard about this. It was only all over the news all day. Yes, Um, yes. All of these problems, right? All of these problems, and none of them really are focusing, and I include COVID in this, none of them are really focusing on, to reiterate, the big bill that's coming due. We just, man, we just don't know how to deal with that right now. So we resort to platitudes. It's, you know, I used to work in Kirkland's in the mall, just down the street from where I live today. It's not there anymore. It became a Sun. 
but Kirkland's is a home decor store. So we would sell Giclee prints of pigs jumping into lakes and, you know, little tchotchkes and sachets full of lavender scented things. But it's a very live, laugh, love store. I'm sure you've seen these kind of phrases. Yes, yes. And when I, when I tell you that the women who would buy, you know, in this house, we believe in love, which is, by the way, you could just substitute we believe in love for we believe in science, and you'd have your, your average progressive these days. These women were not full of love in their hearts. Let me tell you that much, because if you could not properly return something that they had bought yesterday or if you were out of something that they wanted or if something that they wanted had a scratch they did not practice love and they did not practice kindness and i think maybe this is a bit off topic but maybe not i think that my experience of progressives currently has been that they are uh, actually some of the nastiest people that you're going to encounter on, a, on an average basis, on balance. I'm not saying everybody, I'm just saying on balance. And I, do, you know, I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm, Chris, I'm making friends and influencing people right now. Yeah, uh, you sure are. You sure are. Just keep running. Just keep running really just, fast. Just, just keep digging that, that oh. hole. Yeah. Um, but no, but I, I think, you know, to have some empathy, to use a buzzword for these people, I think I think that they maybe more so than some of the conservative people who I know who just frankly dismiss climate change out of hand as a thing that is not going to happen, which is something that I do not agree with, and I don't think uh, the current scientific discourse that we have agrees with, agrees with them. Uh, I think that they're they know that a lot of uh, a lot of people are gonna probably die because of this and how do you deal with that how do you deal with being a part of a species that has disrupted balance that much so i won't talk too much more about that because i'm not educated enough on it but i think i'll just leave it there i think there's i think there's something psychically going on well i don't think there's any doubt about that and i i think that given the the nature of the complexity it could be approached from from multiple angles, but if we try to approach it from the the framework, the paradigm that we've established of the crystal radio being sort of our own roof line and and uh, family dining room table, garage, doing science projects, being curious, being open minded, at the individual or family level, and then the pirate radio oh. being our connection with. Uh, you know, peers and colleagues and allies and, and a kind of, um, not necessarily a professional community, but um, a, a community, a community approach. And the ghost radio signal being that part of culture with a capital C that really transcends all the topical day-to-day media-mediated ideas of culture Mm -hmm. which you know Mm -hmm. clearly come and go and i think what we you know we have shown across uh several episodes they come and go with enormous speed and also commercial intentionality so we're talking about something that is much more enduring than that and it's underlying that how would you put the 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 psychic crisis that we're looking at in terms of those uh that triadic paradigm 
That is a very, that is an interesting question. So I think first of all, we are going to definitely have to, by necessity, not because it's a hobby, but we're going to have to see a return to Crystal Radio um, in a sense of there simply won't be as much provided to us in plastic wrapping as there used to be. I, th- I think that that's as simple as that. I think that having a sense of curiosity about uh, how things work will become an actual functional skill that will separate people who do very well during this climate crisis but with people who don't. Because there are techniques involved in things like permaculture, uh, you know, creating your own uh, sort of supply chain, I suppose that would get more into the the pirate uh, radio section. But I think that that kind of um, ability to entertain yourself as well will be very important when there are, uh, you know, restrictions put on how much electricity you're able to use. I don't think, and this is a big prediction, but I don't think people are going to just be able to be on their phones at all times because charging them might get a little dicey, a little tricky. Um, as far as the the pirate goes, you know, I have a friend who is very wealthy because he's invested in real estate, and he is seriously considering buying 55 acres in rural Oklahoma and building a home on there for myself, Rios, and Gus. And so long as I tend to that extremely huge swathe of land, uh, I'm, I, can, I can kind of live there. And Rios and I are considering that, you know, because the having a community of people with sort of somebody on the top who has money um, and then different connections in order to get different kinds of foodstuffs and supplies, um, I think will be very valuable. Uh, as soon as potentially the next 10, 15, maybe 20 years. Okay. And then as far, and then the, well, the ghost radio just kind of too, is is the thing I think people are tuning into. I think it's present in our entertainment, but more importantly, I think it's present in the current COVID crisis. I think this is a dry run, not to say that people haven't died from it, not to say that it's not a real virus or whatever, you know, all these things that people think that you're saying when you're trying to make a broader point about something. But I do think that this is a dry run for a bigger crisis, right? I think that it's not as simple as a group of nefarious people at the top making up a fake virus or unleashing a real virus on the world to make money, although the money part is definitely real, as you pointed out. I think that the ingredient that this whole pandemic really needed to take off was people buying into a certain extent, and people have bought into it on an almost religious level. And I can't help but think that you don't, you don't buy into something like that so wholesale to where if I post something on the internet um, suggesting that, hey, vaccines are great, but what about you know some of these other drugs that have been offered as treatments? You know, to get blowback from, from the minorest of things, the only comparison that I have to that is when I would ask uh, questions about uh, the Bible in church, right? Mm, Just this yes. kind of this this kind of anger that where they're like, we are not going to engage in what you're saying because you are committing blasphemy and that can only in my opinion come from a ghost radio signal that is so intense so powerful that people found it and some people have immediately rediscovered 
religion. Just religion that's not dressed in any kind of clothing that they are they're used to i hope that answered your question it's a great question well it did you know it, and and the the, the very uh, concluding sort of remark there reminded me that you know what we have talked about in an earlier episode that uh one sees other people's narratives uh and loops that they're tangled up in uh but not one's own you know because those aren't narratives those are the truth you know, and, and this is an ongoing sort of problem. And it, it may be just fundamental to human nature that it's just... It, but I think it is more than it's just easier to see other people's flaws than our own. I, I think that the idea of identifying narratives uh, is really qualitatively different. I think that, that point was made in an earlier episode. And I think what we've just been talking about is a kind of extension of that. And that people have been able to now... Uh, a fairly, you know, secular liberal tradition has been able to find something that they can embrace with religious fervor that has nothing to do with religion, and they feel mm-hmm. good about that. It's kind of, you know, and it it ties in with the larger thing of of decaffeinated coffee and uh, alcohol free beer, and you know, mm-hmm. the uh, the steak without the slaughter, and and this this whole aspect of modernity that is all about how can we get the results without the dirty work and the truth that is going away you know Mm -hmm. that's not going to be here anymore i'm sorry to interrupt you but i that 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 is the major i've explained it to friends in conversation um you know we're not it's not going to look like most of the dystopian films that we're used to seeing it's not going to be Waterworld. it won't be mad max what it will be is something, I think, very close to how people lived in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. I just see a big rollback on a lot of this stuff with some cool steampunk technologies because I think that phones will still exist, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I can get into the details of all that kind of stuff later. But the important, uh, you know, the, the, the juice without the squeeze, right? Like you said, the yeah. steak without the slaughter. The slaughter is coming back. Which sounds more ominous than I mean it to, or maybe I don't, uh, because we're going to have to get reacquainted with getting our hands dirty again. I don't think that comfortable Zoom jobs are going to exist in the way that they do now. I think that there will be more of a of a of a farming class of people, which I don't I don't know how you feel about all that, but I. I can I can definitely see that we have a common ground here on, you know, people are going to have to roll their sleeves up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I have a couple of, of questions. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think, say, you know, people my students' age, say like the 18 to 25-year-old group, which is now uh, a very full generation younger than you are, right? you know, at least. I mean, we're talking, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it's, it's a long way, you know, a disparate but in terms of micro generations, it might be even more, you know, because mm-hmm. they count a generation as two years, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. Um, it's ridiculous. They, the, the brighter ones might ask, and I think to some extent, fairly so, how are these kinds of concerns that you and I have been talking about just in the last few minutes, not, you know, a, a much, much bigger constellation of issues? 
just the ones we've been talking about, they're big enough. How is this different than the anxieties and uh, warnings that appeared in force in the 60s and 70s? How is that different? That's my first question. So let me, let me throw that to you before I move on. The anxieties and warming, warnings about things like peak oil and climate change, things like that? Yeah, and, and therefore also, I mean, like, for instance, with the property that you mentioned that you and Rios and Gus might, you know, the back to the land movement. I mean, Gary Snyder, the beat poet, you mm-hmm. know, moved to the Sierra foothills and without electricity and built his own home out of, you know, local materials. And that became a whole, you know, the whole earth catalog movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some mm-hmm. listeners would remember that. That was a really great resource on many, many levels. But so the question is, is what we're talking about now different? Is it mm-hmm. simply something, is it the whole earth, uh, maybe minus the optimism and the can-do spirit, more, oh, God, we got to get with this quickly. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the tone has changed. But, but is the messaging any different? Have we just rediscovered this? Or is there something that is really different? I think... Number one, it's hard for me to say because I wasn't around for that necessarily, although I'm familiar with it enough perhaps to speak on it. I do think that it is different because of this great ghost radio psychic force that we're talking about. And I think that when the messaging began in the 60s and 70s, there was a sense not just among the elite moneyed class who will continue to squeeze every dollar out of this they can until it is absolutely too late to do anything else. But among people as well, you know, around this time, you're starting to see uh, the kind of McDonald's and Disneyfication of society, the, the ease of everything. TV's getting pretty good. Movies are pretty great. And I think that there was a feeling that there's just more time to get this done. It's a kid who stays up too late uh, with a paper due the next morning, right? We are currently in the stage of frantically writing that paper about an hour and a half before you have to turn it in. Okay, is, okay. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's a good working analogy that I think everyone can understand. And I think that's probably very fair. I think that what you're really saying is that, uh, yeah, it, it is the same thing. Um, and I don't know either because I was too, I mean, I, I kind of got that second hand. I, I was, you mm-hmm. know, 10 mm-hmm. years kind of picking up the reading that, uh, not really living that urgency as, a, as a, even a young adult, you know. Right. Right. Um, it, it was something that I kind of then discovered almost sort of nostalgically, you know, it was like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, there, there was people were interested in some cool stuff then, you know. Right. But now, yes, there is a level of, of true urgency there. The sense is, yes, the clock really is ticking now. Uh, and that does change the whole game, I think. I think but so, I, yeah. There's something about that that doesn't... I, 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 I don't know. I certainly don't disagree with that. But I, I just don't feel that that quite captures the zeitgeist really mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. for one thing i i think that if you look back 
at just using the whole earth catalog as an emblematic sort of way to examine this. Um, and it was one of many things. I mean, I think a lot of people would say, well, look, the internet is filled with all of these devices. You know, I just saw this, uh, you know, people use hiking poles, trekking poles. Mm -hmm. Well, you can get this one, and I love the, the video ad of it. It's just perfect. The guy's really well cast. He might even be the guy who invented it. But this is an all-purpose tool, but it's the size of a spear. And yes, it can be used as a spear. It's got <laughs> knives within it, it, and you can take it apart and and the end thing is after after it's done all this lethal and helpful and he's cut fish open and he's cut flowers for you know his wife and he's done all these different things with this tool uh which is you know the size of a trekking pole he can collapse it down to the size of a miniature flashlight and put it in his the, you know his glove compartment that's pretty cool um and you think okay that's really cool and I've seen some great blowguns, and I so I've seen a lot of cool stuff that's out there. And the odd thing, though, is if you express any interest on you know online, you of course know what happens, don't you? Mm. Suddenly, you know, you're surrounded by all this stuff, and you know you're just bombarded through the internet with all of these, you know, ads for these cool products as if kind of they're not really needed, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. You can feel dress a deer. You can. We can teach you in a half hour. But it's not that you're going to have to be able to do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. So because of these, uh, of this kind of commercialization of of survivalist gear is is the idea that this this track of thinking this kind of signal might be getting amplified for for capitalist reasons is, is that is that the idea or that it might be kind of kind of, i guess what you're what what you're saying is that there is still this kind of track of you know how do we how do we sell this you know, is how do we how do we make this fit into our current paradigm of buying and selling? Well, yes, I I, I am saying that, but I, I think I'm saying I, I I think it's more. I think it's a a larger superstructure of value and belief mm. in a kind of order that makes uh, capitalism and 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 credit card payments possible. Mm, okay. I mean, it think of all of the complexities all of the agreements, all of the consensus that is needed to make uh, online purchases possible. You know, it's, it, it really, we, we, you know, we tend to forget all of the social networking. You know, when we were talking about Malaysian Flight 370 uh, in a part one segment, it, it really, we so often think about aircraft and air travel in terms of, well, it's a Boeing 777, you know, and the, the technology. But it's an immense agreement between nations to have these protocols that you can land, you know, a, a plane in Dakar, yeah. you know, right. uh, or, or many other, you know, places even more, you know, difficult. I mean, Dakar is a pretty major cosmopolitan city. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of the social 
uh, engineering, the social technology is is kind of taken for granted. And it becomes, I think, more and more mysterious, you know, of how this works. Um, because it isn't just the internet that makes online purchasing possible. Nine out of ten people say that's what makes it possible. And they completely forget the social contracts involved. Mm. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. So it what I the thing I keep coming back to though is this interplay between kind of individual guilt and collective guilt. I think that I do think that we could still say that there's okay. How about so there's there is a there is a kind of collective feeling of guilt perhaps, and there are several different ways that various people, companies, organizations go about dealing with that guilt. I feel like that works, right? I mean, that's that's. Am, am I missing? I feel like I'm missing something here. Maybe I should just. I well, I, I think that what, what you need to do is connect the dot between mm -hmm. the disempowerment anxiety and then the guilt reaction, mm -hmm. because I think that's a very interesting, um, there is a relationship, there's, there's an oscillation there that I think is clearer in your mind, and we had a, a, a just a very brief uh, mention of that in our pregame. Um, that kind of maybe needs to be drawn out for listeners that that we don't just leap to the to the guilt because we choose kindness. Right. Uh, we we have that slogan that platitude because we actually feel disempowered on some pretty major fronts, oh, and we okay. get to that, and then I think then we get to some larger realization, which of course we want to deny. Uh, regarding guilt, regarding responsibility, liability. I think, you know, I, I'm a big fan of bringing back, wherever you see the word guilt, let's talk about liability. I think that's kind of where things are mm. really at, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's this connection then. It almost seems like a, a there's all, there has been a progressive consolidation of things like, like power and uh, manufacturing into kind of smaller and smaller and, and cheaper and cheaper cheaper and cheaper organizations to the point where perhaps there's there's not just this kind of impending doom of climate change that is creating a, a feeling of of powerlessness but there is a genuine power grab that's been going on for the past you know i don't know how many hundred years that has also led to a very legitimate feeling of actual powerlessness it just there's a there's like a walls walls are closing in feeling from two different angles uh not just based on you know climate change and a person's uh kind of collective guilt that has to do with that but in a very real material way uh specifically when it comes to things you know you mentioned like you'd like to see a piece of art maybe on a on a person's lawn rather than empty sloganeering Right. And yeah, and, but it, because it, it's kind of coming down to this idea of like, we, maybe we do want to see a bit more of, you know, individual expressions of creativity rather than this almost governmental it in a way, doesn't it feel to certain groups like this is almost a mandated way of being right of like, you know, you have to think this way, like we you must be kind, you must. Right. Well, when I saw some of this progressive signage in 
some business windows, and of course the, it, it's Sunday, so the businesses were closed. Uh, my first thought was they're the kinds of things that in other cities have gone up, as in please don't break our windows. Yeah, you know, right. it, it, it's right. it's uh, it's a very pathetic kind of self defense, um, which in fact really makes some very uh, disturbing assumptions about who would be reading it. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that there's uh, the idea that that any sort of well, I think the word that you mentioned of collective is very, very interesting because that has so many positive associations. I mean, if you're in a collective, uh, say an art group, it, it's a cooperative, collaborative sort of, you know, it's pirate radio. It's exactly what we mean by that. And yet there's something about how collective has been appropriated in identity politics of our time that is so disturbing to me. Well, I think to many people, it just is a complete denial of individuality. It's just a, it just is boiling everything down to uh, LCD status. And I, mm-hmm. I think some listeners will recall the, the farce that I endured about the LCD idea. Yeah. Um, yes, it, it is not a, a, a group, a social group about... It has nothing to do with sexual preference. It means lowest common denominator. Right, right. Um, but I, I think that's the problem with um, this growing disease of platitudes and sloganeering is that it really does destroy the vigor and potency of any kind of messaging to, to lift us up and move us forward, which is what, of course, progressivism is... is you know, claiming to be about. Absolutely. And I think that there's a, a quote from the last psychiatrist who I believe has since been doxxed and his name is out there, which is why he stopped blogging, which is a really, or maybe it's a woman. Gosh, I don't know. I'm really showing my ignorance and my sexism with this. But uh, but there was Uh-oh. there was a film review in 2011, so 10 years ago, about the movie Contagion. And there are yeah. some great thoughts in here about uh, collective versus individual guilt that kind of call into question my reading of the whole scenario and might might just kind of help where we're going here. So basically, here's an excerpt from this essay. Who caused 9-11? 19 two-dimensional characters we don't know the names of. Ah, so 9-11 is payback for the sins of, quote, the United States of America, unquote, which means no one is looking to punish you specifically because it's not your fault. It's, quote, our fault, which means it's Bush's fault, which means we're all off the hook now that he's gone. But maybe taking responsibility for our collective sins is a noble, selfless act. No. The ego will do anything to protect itself, including publicly accepting guilt for something that causes it to experience very little actual guilt. We cause global warming. Really? It was you? You drink yourself to sleep because you burn too many fossil fuels? You can't look a person in the eye because you drive an SUV? So I thought I thought that was a nice (laughs) this this idea of, you know, engaging in these wider, empty, sloganeering acts of, you know, we are kind. In this house we believe Black Lives Matter and science is real and we believe climate change, this, 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 and this. It's like, really you do? You do all this kind of stuff? Is this is this you? I think that's an important question to ask about all of this. 
Well, it is, and 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 I think what what a lot of this uh, this kind of of sloganeering mentality allows people to do is to simply stop thinking. Uh, yeah, right. You know, I, I I've had actually a, a really great experience with trans students, and two of the students uh, in my file that I keep as as recommendations from students are are from trans students. But I did have uh, a situation, you know, once where I, I just felt a glibness and a kind of power play. And I, I'm, I'm going to uh, trust that even people who are very powerfully connected with the trans lobby will understand this. Any group, any group is capable of exploiting and misusing any kind of power that they manage to get a hold of. And uh, this individual, you know, came forward with, um, well, these are my pronouns. And I just jokingly, you know, came back, oh, what are your prepositions? <laughs> and, you know, there was just this look of, of you know, and I said, why, why focus on this one part of, of speech in English? How many parts of speech in English are there? Uh, and, uh, and while we're on that, how, how many accepted verb tenses are there? You know, it was, it was just this absolute no thought about really larger context it was something that well this is what we say and in fact in actual practical fact and i think most uh teachers and instructors professors but anybody would say this you don't actually need pronouns that often you mm -hmm. certainly don't need pronouns when the person is right in front of you or part of the group mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. i just mm -hmm. use the first name right you know Right. It, it, it's courtesy, but it's also just practically effective. So the entire problem of, well, you've got to use these pronouns. It's like, well, no, you don't actually. And right. it's not that you, you know, you're not listening to the person and not wanting to respect their identity. Of course, I mean, I, I don't know any sensible person who's not trying to be respectful. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, why this extreme focus on this? I think this is another example of a focus on something that that somewhere an individual feels some kind of power or empowerment, and it clouds over a whole range of, of much more serious issues that we have to find the time for because time is running out. You know? Exactly. Right. 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 And you run into a lot of problems when people's personal brands you know they run up against an actual climate emergency because when your brand like an air conditioning problem <laughs> like an air conditioning problem right exactly we don't need to know about any of this kind of stuff i need this thing fixed i need this new motor installed yesterday so i think that the the you know having the i keep going back to the to the litany of progressivism but that posted outside of a person's home indicates that they have essentially uh, kind of wrapped their identity and their their personal brand, if you will, in these phrases. And these phrases are by themselves supposed to mean all of these different things that you understand if you're in the club. If you're a part of the community, a part of the collective, you're supposed to get what all of these things mean. And frankly, none of those things, very much like the pronouns that you've mentioned before, none of those things matter when you need to know how to install you know, a rainwater filtration system, right? I mean, they're just not practical boots on the ground kind of things. They're they're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic to bring it back to something that me and your mom talked about. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you know, if you, if you just take the most uh, neutral of these, a part of the litany or, or liturgy, as I think mm -hmm. of it, uh, science is real. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to see how that person would go in a history and philosophy of science class. Yeah. You know, and you don't have to go to Oxford, you know, to do that. You could go to the University of North Carolina and you still wouldn't do well. I mean, that, that is not only a platitude and an unexamined idea, it, it's counter to the whole history of, of world science. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it's real. What? You know, it's just a, a way of putting forward some completely, uh, well, it, it's putting forward an immense uh, human history length level of complexity down to a bumper sticker. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the irony is that, well, biology isn't entirely real. It's a social construct, David, mm -hmm. and, and we can't have people talking about uh, sexual, uh, you know, determining factors because yeah, th those aren't really real, you right. know. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you 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 see pictures, wonderful pictures, of the first contact in New Guinea, which is, as people know, is a huge topic of interest of mine and uh, part of the big novel that I'm trying to finish. But here we have a, a laboratory moment mm -hmm. of truly neolithically based people. And they work to get a landing field there because they're interested in getting the ballast, which is their word for an airplane, to land. First thing they do is they crawl underneath it because they want to see what the genitals look like. You know, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, I, you know, and people go, well, you know, this is real and, but this isn't. And, uh, and, and JK Rowling has now got to be, you know, completely canceled. I mean, who, who are, are these people talking about what is real? You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I get very tired of that. And I, I would want to hear a better definition of what they mean by real, because I don't think they've given it much thought. I would love, you know? just as a troll, and I might do this on the internet from now on, because I've been having fun. I posted on Twitter the other day that God put the dinosaur bones uh, in the ground to trick us, to test our faith. Um, Saw just, that, yeah. Just because I'm having some fun with that. It might actually be fun whenever people say, well, I believe in science and science is real, to just kind of say, uh, no, it isn't. Just very simply, no, it isn't. What do you what do you say to that now? Explain it to me like I'm five years old. Explain to me how science is real. They would probably point to uh, different things that we use, um, you know, in kind of the same way that people, when you say when they say God is real, if you were to say, well, no, he isn't, they'd be like, well, look at the mountains, look at the sunset. And I was like, yeah, I don't know how that proves that what you're saying is is real. I would love to do that just to be kind of a dick about it with science you know well, look at the phone that you're holding i'm like yeah I'm not seeing how this has anything to do with science this is this is how i this is how i go on twitter it doesn't have anything to do with science. well you've got to have a look at philip goss who is is he's uh uh his son was edmund goss so they're part of the the, the great 19th century scientists you know these weirdo wonderful eccentric natural historians amateur you know people who just were so important, so fun. But he wrote a book called Omphalos, which is, you know, the Greek for navel. 
And uh, his, his thesis, which is that uh, the fossil record is not evidence of evolution, but rather that it's an act of creation uh, made so that the world would appear to be older than it is, which is a little bit like my, you know, uh, the dream experience or a, 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 an aspect of dreams, which is very common in mine, where you do not have a, a new experience of a world that you've never been in. In fact, you experience a world which you seem to have been uh, very familiar with. You know, you've got a history mm-hmm. with things. And, I mean, it's, it's a very, you know, big, big topic that's very interesting. It should be enjoyed. It had, people should have some fun discussing it rather than just huge, stupid arguments. But merely to assert that, that something is uh, objectively true or not true because you think so, well, you know, no, <laughs> that's not going to be how it works. You know, Mm -hmm. there's going to be some pushback on that. And if that's not what you're interested in is getting some pushback, well, you're clearly not making an intellectual, cultural sort of statement because that's what people who are involved in that, that's what they're wanting to do, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've given it a little bit more thought. But I always think of Robert Anton Wilson in sort of a fun way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, is that a real unicorn you're thinking about? <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, right, right. You know, have People some do fun. Well. You know. Have some fun. Exactly. Go to YouTube, watch watch his uh, lectures, which are, it's kind of like a McKenna situation where a lot of the talks that uh, Robert Anton Wilson gave are available. You can actually see him talk. These yeah. are on, on video. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty great stuff. And he's, like McKenna, he is an interesting thinker and an interesting person to listen to for an hour and a half you could do worse a, um, a very eccentric voiced figure he's got that wonderful brooklyn yeah, accent brooklyn, yeah, which exactly. is so at odds with the level of of subtlety and and depth that he's of, of issues that he's talking about it's kind of a beautiful uh well he, the voiceover talent was well cast let's say that mm-hmm. yeah and re, you know when you have a psychic framework or a thought framework I don't understand the value in making sure that you are following the science or the zeitgeist to a T. I just, I don't understand how, like, the only way you're going to find new and interesting things to say and think is by doing little thought experiments with yourself. And I don't think people do this very often. What if COVID is completely fake? What if? Right? What if Bigfoot is real? What if George Bush did 9/11? You know? What if John F. Kennedy was assassinated by space aliens? These things, you know, you might think you you might have a, a gut reaction against a lot of these. Like well, that's not true. That's not true. But I would encourage you to, you know, push the bile down a little bit and get outside of the vacuum of thought that you've been in for the past however long you've been alive and just just try these things on like clothes and have fun have fun for a day or two being a person who believes this naughty thing that you're not supposed to believe in and see what comes up that's primarily what i use it for uh although i don't really like thinking about what it's for i think it's just a fun interesting artistic practice to get into to just you know today i'm the guy who believes that there are microchips and vaccines. I might not be that guy tomorrow, but today I am, and I'm going to go down the rabbit hole, and I'm going to find stuff out. 
and it all it all comes out in the wash. Well, you know, it's interesting that uh, I didn't personally uh, participate in in debate as a uh, an activity or a sport, but I, I've certainly I use that technique a lot in my teaching, and I've had students who really uh, just think it's fantastic. I think it builds so many great character traits. It builds poise. It builds confidence, it builds uh, critical thinking, and the ability to think on one's feet. But you know, one of the one of the basic techniques is to to argue a, a counterposition to your own values. You know, and and that that simple conceptual approach is so therapeutic for people if they if they engage with that. And um, I've often used um, you know kind of of. I, I start with a silly topic, you know, like why does Sally sell she seashells at the seashore? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what's the point? Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it make more sense to sell them away from the seashore? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and does she have a permit for that? You know, um, has she, is she meeting regulation? Is she insured? And but that's after I found out where students are, you know, and and they have to take a pro or a con sort of side. But but I make them flip it around. So they, they have to take a point counter to their initial thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then we work up to things that are more uh, contentious and more personal to them. And it is very, very interesting um, to see their reactions. But one of the things that I think is so clear and simple, um, one student said, you know, without this kind of exercise, Empathy, the idea of empathy really means nothing. Mm. And I said, you got it. Yep. You got it. Exactly. I mean, if you're only empathizing with the people who are wearing the same hat as you, uh, all you're doing is hat recognition. Mm-hmm. I'm, one of, I'm, I'm on that team, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We or, choose kindness. Yeah, or again, if you're in a very patronizing sense, choosing one of the pre-approved... Uh, you know, minority groups that you're allowed to sympathize with. There are many times when I see uh, liberal progressives identify with, um, you know, people of color who commit crimes, and you'll see kind of the prison abolition movement of, you know, these people should not be locked up for their entire lives because of crimes they committed that were, you know, spurred on by their socioeconomic status, and I agree with all of that. And then in the next breath, they say, people who are unvaccinated should be put in jail. It's like, well, you're not quite, <laughs> you're not quite engaging in this thought experiment to the hill, because you're really supposed to think about these kind of things specifically when they deal with groups that you don't vibe with or that you find abhorrent. Right. If you're not doing that, then it's you're just mentally masturbating, really, to make yourself feel better. Uh, which, yeah, I think that's, I, and I think that's probably, you know, a great, uh, not that private anxiety. You know, I don't think it's, it's even that far uh, below the surface in any sort of interesting way. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that's people people do know that, and that's the the more. Uh, aware, the more niggling that that doubt and anxiety is, the more vehement they become in the sloganeering. Absolutely. Exactly. I mean, I, I just I find that consistently. Yeah. But uh, are are we ready to uh, to hear about the fish in the barrel? 
Absolutely. Yeah, we can do that. This was. I think uh, we're winding into that that phase. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to give you a little bit of room there because it's you know, the, I mean, we're talking about the first fish shot in the barrel. How did that cliche come to be? Okay, so, uh, what we have here is a man who is in the special forces of the United States military. And he was in Vietnam, racked up 40 kills in, in the shit, right? But he was wounded. He was, uh, he was wounded not seriously, but enough, <laughs> en- enough so that he had to come home. Now, being in the military offers you access to a lot of benefits once you get out. And one of those benefits is that you have a bunch of buddies who have very lonely wives, right? <laughs> so this soldier comes home and he uh, is he's brought all of these, you know, uh, sweets and treats while he's in the hospital from his friends' wives. And this is a real, like, badass. This guy can, like, kill you with his pinky finger or something like that. But he sets about to having sex with anyone who will who will take him basically right he is just running trains back and forth and back and forth and he feels pretty good about it until one of his friends comes home right and him and the guy's wife are in the middle of doing their thing and his buddy comes home and he jumps out of a window right but he's butt naked he's butt ass naked so he's running through the streets and what does he find to cover himself with? But a barrel, right? So he's running and running, and then he trips, and his friend runs up on him, and in a fit of jealous rage, shoots him in that barrel. Now, this guy really loved women, right? He had sex with many, many of them, earning him the nickname of what? Fish. Oh my god, okay. That is That was the first fish shot in a barrel <laughs> well look i i have to I, i'm not wearing a, a a hat or a cap but i would take it off if i if i had one on mm-hmm. um i i think you've done a, a masterful job getting around the fact <laughs> that maybe this expression you know predates that kind of context by quite a long time <laughs> i i think it's just I, I don't know. I think we've we've got to uh, just give a round of applause and say that that uh, if this became the object of a game show uh, like Jeopardy or something, you would advance to another round. Bravo, Dave. Thank you. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you. And what's amazing about this exercise—the same thing that happened last episode—for for the majority of this episode, when I gave it some thought, I was running along the lines of some kind of competition and somebody being slick and, and and this all actually dropped in my lap about five minutes before we started with the conversation proper so it's just about the right amount of time for for me to work it out which seems to hold true with writing as well too i'm sure you're familiar with this when you sit with a piece of writing for about it it takes about an hour to get to the real the real good stuff unless you're juiced up unless you're hyped yeah, and I, I think, you know, you can also, you know, uh, overstew, you know. So I think there is something in that. I think it's a, a certain time to kind of live with something and then 
you, you can over you know you can go over the time limit too it's a very strange window and uh, i think there is an algorithm to that you know of, of, of imaginative uh, solutions you know you have to kind of recognize what what problem is you're trying to solve i suppose and then there there is you know there is a time period that's needed you got to have a little patience there but if you if you start chewing on it too long it you know yeah. it starts to taste like wet paper <laughs> yep, absolutely all right sir practical tip lay it on me okay all right well i i actually this is enormously uh relevant to <laughs> the moment because uh i've just i've been hearing my roommate i'm, I'm staying at my mom's in uh seattle and and, and people who uh listen to our first uh segment the free to air uh, David did a direct interview with her, which I think is, uh, I hope people find really uh, entertaining and uh, engaging on many levels. I think they will. Uh, but she was, uh, I, I was on dinner duty and I, I heard some pots rattling and I thought, oh, that's a little bit of a hint there. But I, I my tip was a, a remark that I, um, I heard a long time ago, which I've been thinking and, and mulling over. It, it it doesn't come up every time one is, is cooking, but I think it, it should. And it, it also applies much more widely. And it's the simple admonition, don't work for the stove, but don't forget the stove. And I don't know about you or anyone else, but I find sometimes when I'm cooking, particularly for myself, that I, I can get really, I can, I can start to think that somehow the, the appliances have become sentient and I'm working for them. And I think, wait a minute, I can just turn the heat off here and just take a break for a moment and think about, well, what am I doing? You know, what's really going on? And I really believe this principle applies so much more Broadly and deeply, in a lot of uh, and 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 oftentimes with very creative, intelligent people, they they become manufacturing facilities of their own stress, you know. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, likewise, we as we've been talking about when you know we can see other people's narratives but not our own. I I think we can personify and make very real our sources of stress, and not necessarily uh really see to what extent wait a minute just turn down the heat and and just have a sip of lemonade (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. if you're really if you're really that is there really a cause to be that anxious the stove isn't alive and isn't going to whip you for uh you know not working fast enough something could boil over yes uh you could catch a dish towel on fire yes but it's under your control. I think this is part of a broader uh, topic that we've been kind of uh, eating around the edges of. We really may want to feel disempowered. I think that would be an interesting argument to put forward for mm-hmm. our next segment. Yes. Maybe secretly, yep. it's just a lot easier to feel as if we're, you know, taken advantage of, abused, 100%. overwhelmed. Yeah, you know, I, I I wonder, I wonder about that, and um, I I think that would be something worth pursuing because we know that human nature has a lot of room for perversity. So I I think that's a very real possibility that 
on very practical terms. We we just really want to to turn over authority. We want to cede responsibility. You know, mm. uh, I've been. And, I brought this question up when I was on Rune Soup. Actually, I asked Gordon. I said, "Do you think people want to feel disempowered?" Um, so I, I, it's something that's been on my mind for quite some time. Is what I'm getting at, and I look yeah. forward to that discussion because I have many thoughts, many thoughts. But uh, yeah, well, I think it's one of the big topics of our time. You know, I, I think. I think responsibility, blame, guilt, liability, empowerment, all of these things are circled around in, in but in, in a Venn diagram sense, they're, they're in the same circle, <laughs> you know? They're all, they're, they oscillate with each other as functions. Okay, well, dream are we ready time. for the dream? It's always dream time. Hopefully there's no spooky synchronicities, and hopefully I... Uh, my I remain corporally intact in in the dream uh, because <laughs> last time we had a bit of a psychic synchronistic uh, connection so let's see well this is about disembodiment I have to say I have to warn everyone I uh, I, I wasn't the sole inventor of this but I I, I seem to be some kind of uh, well, sales rep isn't quite the right word, I, but I was the nominal authority figure in charge of a facility based on a kind of visual uh, analog of of the the theremin music instrument. I, I think people know the the theremin. Uh, I have one. I've I've done a little. We've a couple of episodes back. I did a little demo, and I'm, I have I have fun with it. But the idea is that you. You don't touch it, but simply your physical presence disturbs the energy field around it and creates sound that way. Well, this was kind of uh, a more visual approach, and a group of people had volunteered to be part of this. So they would enter a fairly large room, which was kind of like a dance studio or a gym, you know, empty and open, but but you know, promoting physical movement. And they would be encouraged to move around. And an image capture uh, technology, imaging system, would get all of their movements. And then they could watch the project. So they'd get this other perception of themselves, which is, you know, we can all have that today. And the other aspect of this sort of social experiment or training program, it was kind of a mix of both, was that people's voices would be, they would have a musical instrument substituted for that. They had some degree of choice in that. They could say, well, I really feel like a flute. You know, people may remember Peter and the Wolf, you know, the uh, where each character is represented by a different orchestral musical instrument so well i'm a guitar you know and so there would be this sense of this visualization image capture on a very sort of abstract kind of level and then all of the talking would have been replaced by music beautiful art so your physical presence however body positive you feel was kind of represented in a beautiful sort of way. 
Yeah, and it, it I it seemed all really good. And I, I, I felt kind of as if I was empowering people. And then in the dream, I had been tricked too. I wasn't the Svengali sort of devil figure. But my, the result was because people's real bodies and voices had been completely subsumed by this technology and they were controlled. They lived within that, not quite living in a mirror, but kind of, and they couldn't get back. Their essence had been, you know, completely absorbed by this technology. And I was the, the carnival barker you know, responsible. And once I got onto that, though, I found that I kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> you know? And I thought, well, suckers, you know, yeah, you look beautiful moving across that wall, and the colors change, and your voice is always in perfect EQ, harmony, and balance. But you're never getting out. Mm. You'll never eat a corn dog again. <laughs> so that was my dream. And a look at some of the, you know, and, and it was as interesting to me within the dream to feel that that rising sense of, of yeah, I really, because I wasn't in on the game at, at the first. I was innocent. And then I became experienced. And then I became Oh, I think I enjoy this power now, and right. you shall never leave this spectrum, this peculiar plane of existence. Mm -hmm. You will be only light and sound forevermore. So that was the dream. You're pretty scary, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. That's a cool. That's a that's a cool one. I think that it does sort of touch on an element that is important to bring up, maybe in a future episode. When we're talking about, um, you know, things like uh, climate change and stuff like that and all the kind of bad things that are happening and people being addicted to their phones and addicted to the Internet, you know, I wonder if there isn't an element of our personalities that are kind of like you in the dream, right, of this kind of evil flip side of like, yeah, you're stuck and you're never going to get out of it. And yeah. we don't kind of get some kind of perverse pleasure out of that every once in a while. I think it's not fair to say that we don't, you know? I mean, I think that there is an element to that, a kind of, uh, yeah, a kind of, uh, I don't even know what the word is that I'm looking for. But you know. Well, you know, I think it's, it, it, it's kind of reflected in, in social media, you know? Imagine getting a thousand more likes than ever before. But then you, you go and you think, well, wait a minute, I'm three inches shorter, yeah. you know? Oh, dear. <laughs> you know, maybe I should get off Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> All right, everybody. All right. Well, hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for subscribing to our Patreon. Uh, tell all your friends about it. Put us into your blogs. Invite us on your podcast. I should have said this in the main episode, and I will be sure to do that next week. But if you're one of our subscribers and you have a podcast, uh, Chris and I would love to be on individually or together. Uh, we're really making the, the effort, I think, to, to get this thing out there. So, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime, anywhere. That that we'll it, this has worked. I mean, this has worked in other podcasts that I've done, uh, putting out public calls like that. You know, it, it tends to work. People will email me and say, hey, yeah, cool. So I'll do that next time on the on the big one. But uh, until that, see ya. See you, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye.